Okay, great. Harry, I don't know if you can hear me or not. Um, this is our very first green room room. So we're super excited that, that you joined in. Glad that you're here to listen. Um, so why don't we go ahead and get started and talk about this topic? Larry, do you want to maybe just mention your, your show real quick? Yeah, look, the, the piece with questions. that I always bring up whenever I have a conversation is that one of the reasons why libertarian messaging fails is because it focuses on the ideology of libertarianism and not on the outcome that many people want. People want a better outcome. And if you don't express how you're trying to get a better outcome, then nobody cares what, it, what your ideology is. It doesn't make any sense. I can yell about make government smaller all day long, but am I making someone's life better? If I'm not making someone's life better and talking about government bad, people don't care. They want to find a way to make their lives better. It's the most important thing. And the whole concept of the Sharpway show is the idea of giving people respect, meeting them where they are, trying to show them better ways of making their life better without having to result to or fall back, I'm sorry, fall back to, you know, government program is the only answer. That's really the key. Did I answer your friend, your, your question, Dennis? Yeah, so maybe we can start out with something a bit more general. And Edward and Craig, feel free to jump in at any time with other questions or comments. Maybe generally speaking, let's just talk about what persuasion is and what it means to be persuasive. And then we can get into what's actually happening with some of our conversations in our community. Well, I think the, the biggest piece here is starting with an emotional connection. And it doesn't mean necessarily that I have to, you know, show my emotions and wear my emotions on my sleeve or not. I mean, for some people, that's the right answer for them, but not everybody. But I think in general, it's the old saying, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So persuasion is first about the idea of allowing someone to, to believe that you want something better for them. If they don't believe that your intentions are good, then why would they believe that what you're saying is going to work? So persuasion, I feel, is connecting with somebody first. Then if you know already, that's awesome. But if you don't know, kind of asking what they care about most. And if you get both of those two things, now together you focus on the way to get there. I think persuasion is about getting people on your side or at least understanding that they're not against you. And then you can have a conversation. Yeah, and you have this expression that you use often. How does it go? Uh, diversity of thought, unity of purpose? Yes, absolutely. Right. Every organization, whether it's a business or a charity or a military unit or a government or insert organization, whatever it is, the leadership of that organization to have the best chance of success, the absolute best odds, is trying to find diversity of thought with unity of purpose. If we're all sitting here saying we all want to achieve this thing, we all agree to achieve this thing, but we have different ways. We come from different backgrounds. We think different ways, but we all want the same thing. That is the best chance of success because that means you'll probably find a lot of the holes in your plan early on. You'll probably discard bad plans early on. You'll be ready for things that could go bad early on. So everything is going to, the odds are going to increase. Again, it doesn't guarantee you're going to have success. And sometimes crappy plans work. So there is an element of luck. 
but you are absolutely increasing the odds of your success if you have a diversity of thought with unity of purpose to find the outcomes that you want. But the problem is for most people, they, they create a black and white environment. It is left versus right or us versus them. And therefore, there are only two ways, their way and our way. And since they are clearly evil, then we have to go our way. And if you ever go to the, to, to the people who are on your team and you go, but wait a minute, we can't do this thing that you've said because it may not work. Instead of the person going, hmm, let's try to find the right answer. They go, wait a minute. You just were against our idea. That means you're with the bad guys and you're not one of us. So we don't actually start thinking about it. What we actually find out is we wind up having unity of thought with diversity of purpose. We have the reverse. Everyone has to think the same way. And do we actually have a purpose? Uh, not really. I mean, kind of any purpose is just stopping the other guy. That's it. But what is our outcome? Oh, I don't really know. Do you know? I don't know. Let's just stop the other guy. That becomes the worst. So let's say this is a big problem between the left and the right, between Democrats and Republicans. Does that mean that libertarians could be that third way to bridge the gap? Or There has to be a third or a neutral or a different or an other party in some way, shape or form. And when I say party, I mean this in the loosest form of the meaning of party, entity, group, something. Because when two people or two groups are fighting, unless someone can intervene and go, hey, maybe let's talk about this, the two groups are going to fight until one is exhausted. That's it. And in today's world, that's like a whole lot. We're going to be fighting a whole lot because neither side's exhausted. So you want to have someone who can do something like that. And I think the libertarian movement or libertarian party is the best. And the reason why I say that is not because I'm libertarian, which clearly I'm biased, but that's not the reason why I say it. I say it because we're the only movement that doesn't force you to convert to join us. If you want to be a conservative or you want to be a liberal, all good. We'll take you in. Absolutely. Do you agree that you don't want to use government force to force people to be your way? If you go, yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not concerned in theory here, the individual who wants to join us. I'm not concerned about you know, government forcing someone to be more, say, liberal. But you do want the world to be more liberal, right? And they would say, yeah, of course I do. So great. So are you, you don't want force. So how are we going to do that? We can do that through our example, through our community, through our works to convince people and to show them that the world should be more liberal. Awesome. If you're conservative, I think the world should be more conservative. Great. Are you saying that you think that you should be the example and that your works and your community, that should show people how the world should be more conservative? Great. You can be a libertarian. You don't have to convert. But there's a second piece on top of that. And that is right now in today's environment. If you're a Democrat and you want to go across the aisle and talk to a Republican, you're going to lose your seat. You're done. They're going to fight you. You're going to lose. You're going to get primaried. You're in trouble. If you're a Republican and you want to cross the aisle and talk to a Democrat, you're going to be in trouble. You, they're going to punish you for going over and seeing the evil one. It's not going to work. But if you're a libertarian, you have to talk to both. There's no option. You have to because you don't have enough. There's not enough of us to do anything. So just the fact that we would exist and get into any you know, bit of power at all, we'd have to talk to both sides because we simply couldn't do it on our own. 
But something else happened. If you're a Democrat and you talk to a Republican, end of the world. Talk to a Libertarian, whatever. We're not even seen as powerful. It's like, okay, fine. Be nice. Have some charity. Talk to this guy. If you're a Republican, same thing. Fine to Libertarians, fine, whatever. You're not going to be hammered because you talk to Libertarian. You're going to be hammered because you talk to the other ones. So we actually are the only way to spur conversation. We're here to spur something happening. That's why I think we actually can be that, I guess, third party or that healer or that way to. So now let's talk about what actually happens and then what we'd like to see happen. Maybe we can start with the right because it's probably easier. I think the um, conversation about the left will be uh, more in-depth. But maybe you can talk a little bit about what actually happens in many conversations between libertarians and republicans, and then what should happen if we want to move the needle in our direction. Well, the difference is between the average Republican voter or average Republican party member versus Republican leadership. There's a difference. The leadership tends to not like us. They think that we take away from them. They think that people will go towards us and not them. So the leadership doesn't really like us that much. They tend to, to not like us. They tend to be aggressive and attack us as un-American or they attack us as you know, uh, being radical or something like that. It's how they tend to attack us. The individual Republican tends to be open to having a conversation but they also tend to produce litmus tests for us. And a litmus test tends to be things like, do you support Trump or not? Are you pro-life or not? Um, do you want to build a wall or not? Things like that. And if we fail those litmus tests, then they go, oh, you're not really one of us. And they get upset. And then they tend to attack. They tend to, to attack us and call us names and things like that. That's what happens often. However, there's a good part about that. At least they're conversing. They're talking and we can have conversations. The right is much easier to begin the conversation with us, even though it may end with, oh, you didn't, you know, you failed a purity test. Therefore, I don't like you anymore. It, we still can have a conversation. And even after that purity test failure, they'll still yell at us. And we'll still have a conversation. So we actually have a better chance in the conversation of bringing the right over to us because of that. The left is different. The left tends to think of us as crazier Republicans. So they tend to just completely ignore us, totally dismiss us. Their insults aren't you're bad or un-American. Their insults are you're stupid or mean. It's a different type of insult. It's a dismissiveness. They tend to not want to talk to us at all. So when they talk to us, it tends to be almost like they're trying to teach us something. Like we're the naive child and they are the teacher and let me show you how the world works silly, naive libertarian. That's how that usually uh, starts. Now, the advantage is if you do get people enough to have conversations, we tend to be pretty good at it when we have the conversation. If we can get past the, you know, the, 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 the teacher to child situation, if we can get past that, we tend to have decent conversations at that point. So that's when it gets good. But the hard part is getting that conversation. To be forward, when the right comes to us, they come over faster, but they also leave faster. So they'll come to us, we'll fail the litmus test at one point, and they'll go back to the Republicans again. That's much more common than the left. 
when the left comes to us, it's harder for them to come to us. But when they come to us, they tend to stay. It's rare that they go back to Democrats. It does happen. Don't get me wrong. It does happen. But it's far more likely in the Republican side than it is in the Democrat side. So if I understand you right, there are really four groups among the major parties. There's Democratic leadership, Democratic voters, Republican leadership, Republican voters. Should we have different goals in the conversations that we have with each of these four groups in terms of what we want the outcomes of those conversations to be? Yeah, as a general rule, talking to the leadership of the Republican Democratic Party is is just to be polite. We're not going to convert them. I mean, it's possible, I guess, but the odds of converting them are slim. They are established in their community. It's what they know. It's a power move for most of them. They're not really concerned. They would only join us if they thought there was a powerful reason to join us, that gain something from it. That's how most of the leadership is going to think. So we can talk to them. I'm, I'm open to talk to anybody. But the idea of being able to actually convert them, I think, is relatively slim. The goal would be, do we have some type of idea or policy that might make you that might make them feel good or that might make them you know want to pick up a part of our ideology or something like that then maybe talk to the leadership but our goal really should be to talk to the individual republican or democrat most individual republicans democrats are like americans and they're unhappy right now they don't like what their party's doing they don't like what's happening in america they're unhappy and they do want some type of answer they do want something so if we can provide them with answers, the odds that we can draw them closer to us. Now, closer meaning maybe they'll join the party, maybe, but maybe not. But maybe also instead of joining the party, they may just decide that we're okay to vote for once in a while. And I would take that, right? I would absolutely take that. There's no, I mean, we, we could do that. We could absolutely make it to where the people decide, hey, I'm going to um vote for libertarians this time, but maybe not in the future. So what? And the reverse, I'm not going to vote this time, but maybe in the future. The goal is not necessarily to... The, of course, I want the end game goal to have a more vibrant and more powerful libertarian party. Of course I do. But I'm also realistic. The first goal is just to get people to think, all right, I might vote for these guys sometime. I'll take that. Okay. Now, you've actually been able to cross that threshold, particularly with people on the left recently. You've been on Vosh's show, you've been on Destiny's show, and a few others. What were some key takeaways from those conversations that might help other libertarians in terms of their conversations and their messaging? Uh, it's a good question. I think, generally speaking... Uh, not to get angry when they dismiss you. I think that's the biggest issue. Not to get angry when they dismiss you. They constantly are trying to dismiss you. And if you can still just stay in the conversation without getting angry or saying something, I think that's good. Second, they will constantly try to to turn your argument into a superlative. And what I mean by that is once they, you know, once you say, so you might say something like, you know, it might be better if we had school choice as an example, it's a common libertarian uh, talking point, right? 
And, and what they'll do is they'll say something like this. Oh, so the second we have school choice, now we'll have perfect education. Well, no, that's the further. I never said that. I don't, I'm not saying that everything now is perfect because all of a sudden we have school choice. That's not what I'm saying. Don't go there. But instead, what most libertarians do is they then defend school choice. So you're falling into a position of you're, you're saying your way is perfect. And no way is perfect. So you're automatically going to lose if you try to fight that battle. And that's a common tactic used. They make it a superlative. Libertarians fall into defending a superlative. You can't win against perfection. It's impossible because not any, if they can find any hole in your plan, which of course there's a hole in every plan, then you're now relevant. I, I noticed that on your, uh, your interview with Destiny, um, when you guys were talking about North Korea, South Korea, um, he's like, okay, well, in your perfect world, like everything goes perfectly. And you're like, well, uh, no, I didn't say that everything went perfectly. I just said in every other case, it's happened that way. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And even in those other areas, when I was telling him, he was talking, I was talking about Vietnam and he was like, well, there's people in South Korea who would rather be in South Korea than Vietnam. Well, yeah, and there's people in North Korea who would rather be in Vietnam right now, right? I mean, so it's not perfect. And Vietnam isn't perfect either. But is Vietnam better than North Korea? Yeah, I think demonstrably everybody would agree that Vietnam is better than North Korea. Um, And Vietnam also is their own country, and they can have their own country their own way. The argument that he was making was, well, how do you know they wouldn't still be under, you know, Kim Jong-un or they might wouldn't still be under the, King, the, the, the Kim family? I don't. They might be and they might not be. But even if the, the Koreans say, in theory, if, if, the, if North Korea had won the war and it, and it was all one Korea or we had negotiated uh, a, a unified Korea and, you know, the Kim family was still the dominant family or if not, you know, really still kind of running it. It doesn't mean that they wouldn't be that way. Now, many, many countries that had dictatorial, you know, governments overthrew their own governments in their own way. It happens a lot. And it might have happened and it might not. I don't know. If you look at South Korea, when South Korea initially was, um, was a country, it was basically a dictatorship. And then eventually it became to grow, it grew itself into a decent democracy. Could that have happened in North Korea? If, I'm sorry, in all of Korea, if North Korea had controlled the entire peninsula? Maybe. I don't know. And maybe they'd be fighting like in Myanmar now. It's possible. Who knows? I don't know what would have happened. But whatever would have happened, the Koreans would have decided it's their country. They would have picked their leadership in the way they want to be led. The odds are they would be more capitalistic. Now, I don't know that to to the point, Craig. There's no way I can know that. But if I look at every single other country in Asia, every other country in Asia, every one of them, is more capitalistic than North Korea. Hands down, Mongolia is more capitalistic. All China is. All countries are more capitalist than North Korea. So why would I assume that a United Korea would not be that way? I, I kind of felt, I, I get where he was coming from because he's like, okay, well, you're going to do hypotheticals. I'm going to do hypotheticals. How about Japan is now the new, you know, that's the new buffer state or whatever. Like, I get it. It's a, it's a tough... Because his question was like, hey, you know, what What would you do about this? You know, this guy sucks. Why can't we go in there and beat him up? You're like, well, we shouldn't have created him in the first place. He didn't like that. So um, I felt like his justification, yeah, I, mean, but- I felt like his justification was like, well, look at all these South Koreans that have such a great life now. You know, you're going to sacrifice that for 
something that that might have okay been okay or you, you know uh i don't know it's just uh it was a hard argument i got why he didn't like it um but, but at the but same time point, yeah go ahead the, the point that i was trying to say here though is i was trying to get at several things number one it would have been a Korea, which means their country, their way. And morally, that's the right answer because it's their country. That's number one. It's their country. They should be able to unite their country as they see fit and to be in the government that they want to be under or fight their government or, or have a revolt or whatever it is. It's their country. That's the first piece. But the second piece that I wanted to bring up here is maybe Japan would have been a buffer state, right? All the maybes and hypotheticals. But his hypotheticals were random hypotheticals. My hypotheticals were based on every single other Asian country. So both, absolutely, both hypotheticals. But mine was based on the reality of every single other current South, I mean, uh, Asian country. There is no other example except North Korea. So if you unify the North and South Korea, why would you think anything else would come up upper state? It's just going, well, this could be bad. Yeah. But I'm basing mine off of reality is my point. Now, again, it's still hypothetical, but I base it off of reality. Yeah, I think that's where he was coming from. He's like, well, you're going to pull shit out of your ass? I can do that too. And, and it's like, well, no, that's not exactly what I'm doing. Like, if yes. you listen, there was a qualifier. That, that was exactly right, right? That's what I was trying to say. And I guess the other part is, you know, Regardless of what may or may not have happened, maybe Japan would have been a buffer state. Maybe it wouldn't have been a buffer state. All possibilities. But even if it was a buffer state, does that mean that now Korea would be against us and trying to make nuclear weapons and trying to hurt us? And he was like, well, yeah, they'd still be mean and mad. I'm like, no, they wouldn't be. Why? Look at all the other countries. Again, every other country. That was under Soviet domination or Chinese domination. How many of them hate us? None. Literally, Poland was under Soviet Union. Do Poles hate us? No. All the Baltic states, they don't hate us. Czechoslovakia, which is now the Czech Republic, and Slovakia, they don't hate us. None of the countries that were under the, the, the power of the communist bloc, none of them hate us now. Laos doesn't hate us. Vietnam doesn't hate us. None of them hate us. Mongolia doesn't hate us. Literally none of them. The only one that hates us is North Korea. No other country does. So why would I assume that there would still be a bad or belligerent Korea when there is literally no other example of that in the whole world? So he well, acted we... like I was pu- pulling out of my ass, but I was basing it on the rest of the entire world. Yeah, well, the the, the, the issue is the intervistus, right? Like, we... it. We didn't fix it, so it's not fixed, right? So that I, I feel like it's the I feel like that's the deal, right? And you're like, wow, they don't know what they need, you know? Like it, it's our job to broker, it's our job to do this, it's our job to do that, you know? And you, you touched on it with the American interests. You're like, you're like, you know, that's a that's a sticky situation there. You talk about American interests, you can make anything an American interest, you know? Absolutely. And then now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, we're doing stuff that you know. It's not, it's not good, but it's for American interests. And then it's like, okay, it's like you always talk about, I guess, I guess here's a transition. I don't want to keep beating up on him when I'm not here. I, um, um, it's, it's, it's like the, 
it's like you always talk about with the transitioning away from things, right? Government programs, whatever it is, like you're not trying to say this should end tomorrow. You're saying right. it probably wasn't a good idea to start it in the first place. And yep. let's see how we can walk it back to where it should be. And let's not start new ones. Yeah, exactly. Craig brings up something that I'd like to ask you. A lot of people feel like if you're not actually intervening, then you're apathetic. You're not doing anything, and therefore you're kind of guilty because there's a problem and you're not trying to fix it. And a lot of libertarians look that way because it's like, no, 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 don't do anything through the government. Do it private. Uh, how do you how do you reconcile that? I want to be involved, but I I know. And then and then when I was talking to to Dylan last night, he was talking about how much he cares about Taiwan and he'd prepared to die for Taiwan. I was like, awesome. So why should the government stop you from sending your money there if you want to? Why should the government stop you from creating up creating up a carrier to send money there if you want to? Why should the government stop you from going there physically if you want to and fighting on behalf of the Taiwanese people if you want to? And he didn't really have an answer for that. I just thought, well, it's just bad and such. But you know what's happening now? You have the government right now stopping people from sending money to help Palestinians right now because they're concerned that it will go to Hamas. They're worried it will go to bad people. So they're actually stopping people from doing it. That's a thing the government's doing right now. And my point and they is- go, And they go and do the same thing. They're like, no, only we give money. That's correct. Only we can give money there. That's all we, yes, exactly. Only we can do that. Right. So, so that is a, that's issue number one. But issue number two is, Ed, what I would a- ask anybody, how can you save the entire world? There are bad things happening throughout this world everywhere. So, um, so Ed, if you're telling me if you don't give money to the Uyghurs, you're a bad person. You're basically committing genocide. If you don't give money, to the, the, the Kurds, then you're committing Kurd genocide too. If you don't give money to the Armenians, if you don't, you know, provide value for the people in East Timor, if you're not helping people, you know, who are fighting between inner and outer Mongolia and China, if you're not doing, if you're not trying to stop, you know, um, trans kids from being bullied when they commit suicide, if you're not trying to protect the turtles from getting straws in their noses, oh my God, you're an evil person in the world, Ed. You're doing all these things because you're not actively trying to help. This argument is a silly argument. The idea is you can only help with what you can help. That's what you can do. And you can't save the entire world. Are you telling me that we're supposed to send Marines and soldiers into every nation where they're oppressing women? Every nation where they're oppressing workers? Every nation to where they're oppressing a a minority? We'd be in almost every nation. Are we going to invade Canada because they're, they're having trouble with their indigenous population right now? Are we going to be invading Greenland because they're having trouble with their indigenous population right now? Oh my God, we'd be everywhere. The argument doesn't make any sense. We're just human beings and we can't stop and care and fix everything. It's simply impossible. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. This is Edward again. Uh, there are a lot of people out there, left and right, who think that the only reason why the world is going so smoothly right now is because the United States is involved almost everywhere. And the only places where it's bad is places where we can't get involved, like in the uh, the Uyghur situation or North Korea. And there's a few places where we screwed up, but almost everywhere else, we are actually doing a good thing and we're not screwing it up. 
everywhere else. Like with I got a feeling the, uh, that Syria, plan. Iraq, Iran, Jordan would disagree. I would think the Kurds would disagree. I would think most of South America would disagree. I would think, but, you know, the Koreans would disagree. I'm not sure Japan everybody would agree Europe with that agree. idea. Right? Japan Say again? and Europe would agree. Japan and Europe would agree. The well, Marshall I'm not sure. World War II. Um, if you look right now, right currently, um, yeah. the only reason why the Japanese and the Germans, as examples, care about us is because thanks to us, they don't have to build the nuclear weapons. They don't have to build nuclear weapons because we're able to defend them with a nuclear shield. Otherwise, they'd have to spend billions and trillions of dollars building a nuclear arsenal and, and staffing it and keeping it and everything. Well, wasn't a lot of that also the United States sending a whole lot of commercial contracts to Japan and Korea, South Korea and Germany? Yes, but during the, the Korean War, there was a push in certain parts of the American government to rearm Japan. Because they were concerned they wanted Japan, they thought Japan might have to worry about an incursion from China. And they were concerned about Japan, you know, uh, having to assist and fighting in Korea and fighting Japan. There was a push to do that. But the Japanese were like, we just got out of World War II. No, thanks. We're good. You nuked us. We're good. We really don't want to do this at all. No, thank you. We would like to not do this at all. And, of course, that would have meant an amendment to their constitution. And that's why um, there were people in America who were trying to get Japan to amend their constitution so they can have a, a, a fighting force. Their constitution does not allow for a, for a uh, aggressive overseas military. So they well, wanted to. Should uh, we they, push for that then? Like, if we want to be non-interventionist, shouldn't Japan re, uh, rearm itself then? What I would say is we should not worry about what Japan does when it comes to arming itself. We should let Japan defend itself as it sees fit. That's what I think we should do. The reality of it is we want to create a world where people don't want nuclear weapons. We want to create a world where people don't want weapons of mass destruction. So how do we find that? By creating peace and stability. People who are peaceful and stable tend to not want to make weapons of mass destruction. But people who tend to feel like they're being isolated or feel like they're being attacked or, or anything like that, they tend to move towards weapons of mass destruction. Examples are in today's world are Iran and North Korea, right? They are blatantly being, um, you know, attacked and, you know, embargoed and sanctioned by America, by the world. So what do they do? We have to gain our, our strength and get nuclear weapons, right? Gaddafi wanted it too. He was like, these guys are embargoing me. I want nuclear weapons. And then what happened? Gaddafi, Gaddafi gave his nuclear weapons and then he's dead. So what did we teach them? Nuclear weapons work. Weapons of mass destruction work. Why do you think Saddam wanted to get weapons of mass destruction? I mean, these are the people who get it. If you notice, the countries that are powerful and strong that could easily create nuclear weapons aren't trying to. Are you telling me Sweden couldn't create a nuclear uh, uh, weapon if they wanted to? Of course they could. Germany couldn't? Of course they could. All these countries could if they wanted to. They don't because they feel, one, it's safe. No one's going to invade them. That's what they believe. And they believe also that if someone tries to nuke them, America will nuke them in retaliation. So there is a uh, mutual uh, assured destruction. So I just want so to steer this back in the direction of the messaging side of it. This is all great stuff. And as you guys know, I agree with much of what was said. I have, I have one, Dennis, if you need one. You have one what? I have, I have another thing that kind of piggybacks off this but takes it in a different direction if you want me to say something about it. 
Uh, sure, go for it. I was just going to talk about, so yeah, I was feeling you too, like we got sidetracked with the foreign policy. Um, but uh, talking about nuclear weapons and the right to bear arms, right? Um, everyone says, so you'd be okay with people owning nukes? And I, <laughs> that's another superlative, right? But yep. then look at how nukes came about, right? It was the government. Would we have made nukes? Would there have been some crazy <laughs> evil, you know what I mean? Like, would the free market have created nukes? Is, is there any reason that we would have needed that outside of governments trying to kill each other, right? That's a, that's um, a good point. But, but I think when it comes to this kind of messing with the Second Amendment, and I'll, and I'll go right to what Dennis is talking about, um, I don't know of people, any mainstream movement or even libertarian movement that I know of, which is saying we should all have pocket nuclear bombs. I, I, don't, I don't know of that. So I, I hope that's not a thing. But what I'm hearing here, though, is I, I would like us to just realize that the Second Amendment is about an individual able to defend themselves. So does, does an individual require a nuclear bomb to defend themselves? I, I don't think that's true. I don't think they do. Uh, the, the goal, of course, if you look at right now, we're nowhere near that. The idea of someone saying, well, why don't you own an F-15 fighter or a nuclear bomb or something? We're nowhere near that. In most states, you can't even get a machine gun to be to be forward, right? So how could you even come close to that? I have an idea. How about we just allow an individual to carry a firearm of their choice? How about just that? Why? Because a firearm, particularly when you get older, particularly when you're uh, physically smaller, like many women, it becomes an equalizer in a sometimes aggressive world, particularly right now in the world where we have more and more violence. Right. If you look at what's happening in New York City, who are the people who are usually you know, knocked over the head and robbed? It's going to be someone who's you know, either frail or old, almost always. Now, this gang warfare is different. That's gang on gang. But when it's not gang warfare, when it's people being robbed or, or beaten up, it's usually going to be someone who is frail and or old and or small in some way. What if all of a sudden that person can have a firearm? It's an equalizer. What about all the divorces, domestic violence that happened with the COVID lockdowns? Who are the people who are usually hurt? Almost always, it's the woman, right? Not 100%, but 99% of the time, it's the woman who is going to be beaten. And today, in America today, every single day, a woman is killed by her lover. In America, every day. Well, what if more women had, had a firearm? Well, Larry, he'll take the firearm and kill her. He's killing her anyway. Now he's just beating her to death instead. I, I don't know if maybe you just would rather her be beat to death than shot to death. I would like her not to die, period. It doesn't make it better if she was beaten to death or shot to death. How about not die? Yeah, I, I think I think you kind of touched on something here, which is everyone wants to take it to the extreme, right? Mm -hmm. And you always you always try to be like, we're not even there yet. We're not even there yep. yet. So I think I think really it's disingenuous, all these things, all these arguments. I feel like people just want to gotcha. They just want to get you, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, but let's just address a policy. Do you think we're ever going to get there? Do you think it's getting better? Because I don't think so. I think we're going the wrong direction with uh, social media. You've got it with the two sides on the mainstream media, quote, unquote. I mean, in podcasts and whatnot, stuff like this is good. People want to discuss. But that's a very small proportion, I feel like, of the public. You know, I, I, I'm feeling kind of down about how uh, – 
how we're how we're progressing with that. The actual having conversations that change policy, that make differences instead of just trying to get you. It is a very uh, good question, and I'm torn. Half of me says we're doing better, right? Half of me says we're doing better because I do see. I, I do see people wanting to change and get away from the, the mainstream. So I think that part tells me we're doing better. But I also see people just being afraid and afraid Americans always make bad decisions, right? Afraid Americans always, all the things that we hate about this country, almost all of them came somehow from afraid Americans. War on drugs, afraid Americans. War on terror, afraid Americans, right? Gun control, afraid Americans. Um, the, the apartheid in the South, afraid Americans. Everything that we don't like about America, almost down to the last thing, always comes from afraid Americans. Patriot Act, afraid Americans. Everything's afraid Americans. So we are more afraid. That's my concern. At the same time, we're moving away from the mainstream. I don't know which one's going to win. So how so, do we message to scared people? By giving them actual answers by not just making them scared of the other more, right? There's a there's a there's an idea that some people are talking about now. They're saying one of the reasons why mainstream media is suffering so much, and this is just a theory, is that the us versus them isn't working as well, that they are based upon just being an us versus them, and that any issue that pops up has to simply connect to an us versus them. So, for example... Um, Something bad happens. Great. How does the left blame the right and how does the right blame the left? But when you can't just blame the right or the left, it becomes harder to report and talk about because there's no spin. And I think that that's a that's a thing that people are like, well, there's no spin, so why do I listen? But then what are people listening to now? They're listening to people who are trying to give them an answer. Here, try this. Here, fix this. Here, do this. I think people will hear when you give them the example I think I'll give you is what's almost always popular, no matter what, you know, what's happening in the country is people who sell hope, right? Whether you sell hope like a Tony Robbins will tell you, you could do it. Whether you sell hope like it, you know, come to my church or join my group or I'll teach you how to sell or I'll teach you how to pick up women or I'll teach you how to grow your business or I'll teach you how to whatever, make a bunch of money, whatever the case may be, those people are always making money because people want hope. So if you can sell hope effectively, if you can you know, sell a solution where people will make things feel better or people will think they'll feel better, I think that's how we message it. You know, I think one of the things I heard from you, Larry, this is Dennis, a really interesting thing. Libertarians are often accused of living in fantasy land. We've got our libertarian utopia, which will never be a reality. But what I heard you say was that sometimes when you talk about an issue like the Second Amendment, non-libertarians will take it to the extreme. They'll talk about pocket nukes and that sort of thing. But I think what I heard you say was, you know what, let's actually bring them back to reality and talk about it on a more micro level in terms of things that are achievable in the real world. Is that kind of what you're saying? I'm saying that and, right, that and what's actually happening. When I ran for office, what people loved more than anything 
is that I was often telling them what's actually happening in the world. And the example that I would often give is how high school actually worked. And I would tell them how people are, how kids are actually de- you're dealing with high school and college, what the actual problems are, why it's failing. And the parents would be like, yeah, that's, that's real. No one says that. Wow, that is a problem. You're right. No one says that. So when I often talk about violence in bad neighborhoods and I talk about who is, are the people who are being hurt and I say it's almost always an elderly person, people in the bad neighborhoods go, yeah, he's, he's right. Wow, yes. And then they stop caring about pocket nukes because nobody cares about pocket nukes. It's, it's not a thing. But do people care when they remember, you know, old man Jenkins or old lady Smith? They got beat up by some thug. Yeah, they remember that. They do. And they go, wow, that's real. And then they go, see, that's what I'm talking about. So yes, I think you do bring it down to what's actually happening and then say, so now what could actually happen to fix it? If you remember when I was talking in the night, you know, people often talk about, well, we should fix this. We should fix that. And I go, yeah, it sounds great. Let me tell you what actually happens. The FBI creates this. And all of a sudden now, you know, we've got a surveillance state. So, so the Patriot Act sounds great, but what does the Patriot Act actually do? It creates a surveillance state. That's what actually happens. We're going to intervene in this country. Great. So what actually happens? We don't finish it, and there's a disaster. So it sounds great, but we, it won't actually do it. And then I try to give them an example of, it, is it this what failed? Is it, don't we still have this problem? And we tend to. Yeah, yeah good stuff. You know, one more thing I wanted to touch on you've had the opportunity to be on all of these podcasts and you have your own podcast the sharp way although most libertarians have a podcast that's the truth uh, we don't all get onto the popular shows but many of us will have arguments on social media in debate groups and other places and oftentimes we argue with the person who's on the other side of the debate but we neglect to think about the audience that's listening. How do you think about the audience when you're in a discussion or debate with somebody in terms of how you do your messaging? This is the same thing that we talked about, you know, about the difference between Democratic leadership and Democrats, Republican leadership and Republicans, and, and, and Republicans, or Republicans, same thing. Um, Republicans, same concept, right? I don't want to insult the voter I don't want to insult the individual Democrat or Republican. I want to insult their leadership, right? I, I really want to insult their leadership. And so what, what I will, when I'm talking to someone who's a, yeah, maybe someone who is um, you know, a popular person, um, what I'll say is, you know, I'll be nice to that person because I do want them, I don't want them to hate me, right? I, I don't want them to feel like I'm a bad guy. And the people who like them, their friends or their followers, if I insult that person, they're not going to like me because I just insulted them. So I just want to be polite and show respect. But I also want to show them that I'm human and that I'm arguing in good faith, that I actually care about what I'm talking about, which is why you will hear me often talk about the outcomes. I would say what I want to achieve. What is the actual outcome? I talk about that a lot. So that people get, oh, he's not just saying other guy bad or my guy bad, any of those things. What he's saying is, I think my way is the best way to achieve some good goal. And even though that person's followers might go, well, I don't agree with it. I think he's dumb or wrong. 
they don't think I'm a bad person. And that's the most important thing because at least that means in the future they might hear me. And if their guy shows in the wrong way, they might come back to me. And when someone else says, I heard Larry Sharp and it sound, it seemed to make sense. They don't go, that guy's a bad guy. Don't listen to him. They say, yeah, he's a nice guy, but I think he's wrong. Let's have a conversation. And it still works. The goal when dealing with someone like that is to not insult them, to show respect to them and the listeners, focus on the outcomes and get them to simply not think you're a bad guy. Larry Sharp, that sounds like a great place to end this segment. Uh, really good insights here. And Craig Miles, Edward Hofer, thanks so much for participating too. Larry, where can people find you on the interwebs? And thanks to Harry, hey, thanks to Harry for listening too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So that you can you can listen to me on the Sharp Way, and that is on Instagram, that's on YouTube, that's on Facebook. That's on Twitter, all over the sharp way, and it's sharp with an E, and the E stands for entertaining.